Our reading can be found on page 1217 of the Church Bibles, and it is 1 Peter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 12, on page 1217. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now, for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you, when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Loving Father, even angels long to look into these marvellous truths about the salvation that you have brought to us in your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and revealed to us by your Holy Spirit. And so we pray this evening uh, that you would uh, so open our eyes that we may lay hold of your Son, Jesus Christ, by faith, that we would live with hope in him and the glory that is to come at the last day. Gracious Father, please would you teach us this evening from your word. Open our hearts, open our minds that we might respond in faith and obedience. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'll do have that uh, Bible reading open, 1 Peter 1, uh, page 1217. Uh, We're beginning 1 Peter this evening. Uh, God willing, we shall work through until we get to the end in a few weeks' time. One of the most uh, enjoyable parts of uh, my uh, job, uh, I guess George would say the same, uh, is conducting weddings. 
And uh, over the years, uh, one sees uh, all sorts of variety in weddings, uh, all sorts of different uh, things that make each one uh, individual. Uh, the last wedding I did up at St. Mary's Weaverham a couple of weeks ago, there were two best men. Uh, I hadn't done one of those before, although I think it's becoming more common. Uh, we've got one booked in here where uh, apparently a bird of prey uh, will come from the back of church carrying the rings. If it was my wedding day, I wouldn't take the risk as to what the bird might do. But there we go. We uh, aim to uh, uh, indulge the wishes of those who want to get married here uh, with whatever they like. Uh, it's got to be better uh, than the uh, uh, wedding that a friend of mine did uh, where the, uh, the rings were on a, a small um, cushion carried by a page boy. Uh, and it was uh, an old-fashioned church floor where there were the grills, where the heating pipes, you see what was going to happen. There was sadness uh, on that day. Uh, uh, there are things that can go wrong. Of course, there are. Um, I once had a best man pass out and I had to catch him uh, as I was in the middle of the vows, which was fairly dramatic and slightly took the, uh, the shine off things uh, for a few moments. And uh, occasionally I've contributed to the chaos myself, uh, as uh, on the occasion when I asked the bride if she'd like to take the man as her wife. And um, <clears throat> it... It wasn't because I was anticipating any of the recent governmental nonsense uh, about the change in the definition of marriage. But for all the differences in every individual wedding, all the things that make them uh, individual and wonderful occasions, uh, at the heart of it uh, is, of course, the same thing. Namely, uh, that two people uh, have chosen each other. A man and a woman have chosen each other uh, to set their affection, their loyalty, uh, their love on the other and they want to come and declare that uh, and uh, ask for God's help to keep those vows. Well, as Peter opens his letter uh, to the Christians scattered around uh, various parts of what is modern-day Turkey, uh, he comes uh, with a similar idea, the idea of uh, a choice being made with the affection and loyalty uh, and unwavering commitment being made, uh, except here, of course, it is not the, uh, the, uh, the affection of a man and a woman that they set on each other in marriage, uh, but rather, uh, Peter says, uh, here uh, every Christian may uh, know for sure that God has chosen them to be the object of his loyal affection, of his everlasting love uh, that will never be taken away. Because he writes, to God's elect strangers in the world, scattered throughout these regions who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. God's elect, chosen. Just like a man and a woman choose each other, uh, so God has chosen uh, those who come to believe in Jesus uh, to be the recipients of his uh, everlasting loyalty and love and faithfulness. So Peter uh, is opening his letter, uh, signalling to us that this will be an incredibly encouraging uh, message from God to those who are in Christ. If we know Jesus, uh, then Peter says to us, we are so uh, valued by God uh, that he has called you personally to be among his chosen people, his uh, elect See, when we choose to uh, marry someone, there has to be uh, a mutual choice. That's a legal necessity as well as uh, rather a wise one. Uh, you can't be married against your will legally, uh, according to the law of this country. But if you're a Christian, says Peter, uh, then you've come to know God. You're one of his elect people. But the foundation of that relationship, which is where the illustration breaks down, is not mutual choice. 
And rather, Peter says, it is God's choice. Uh, We sinners tend to spend a fair while making up our minds uh, if we want to marry someone. Are we right for each other? Can we put up uh, with each other's funny ways? Uh, But if you're a Christian, Peter says, uh, that privilege isn't yours because you're a worthy person. God hasn't spent some time looking you up and down to try and work out if you were right for him. It's not like that. Now he says to God's elect who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Long before uh, you had the choice uh, to do anything good or bad, indeed long before you were even born or thought of, God chose you, he writes to these Christian people. Uh, He accepted uh, His acceptance of his people has never depended uh, on our performance or our potential. As Jesus said uh, in John's Gospel, you did not choose me, uh, he said to his disciples, but I chose you. We won't spend too long here. We were here a couple of weeks ago. You can download the talk when we were in Article 17 in Romans 8. This foreknowledge of God is more in meaning a foreloving of God, loving us even before we came to be foreknown, foreloved. God's elect, those who were predestined. Uh, to come to know uh, that accepting, adopting love uh, of making us part uh, of his family. And then as uh, Peter goes into the second verse, uh, and I should have been a a heading on there, um, uh, God's choice is revealed, he says, in this way. uh, God's people are chosen through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. If you are a Christian here uh, this evening, uh, then... At some point in your life, you have come to be born again. Again, to use Jesus' uh, language and Peter's language from a little later in the letter. Uh, We'll get there in a couple of weeks' time. How is God's choice revealed? Well, it's revealed as people hear about Jesus and they respond by trusting him and giving evidence that they have indeed uh, been born again. The sanctifying work of the Spirit sets someone apart uh, to God. And the evidence of that uh, will be the way they respond uh, to Jesus Christ as he is preached. The one who is chosen and sanctified uh, is the one still following on Peter's sentence who comes to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If we belong to God, we will come to obey Jesus. He will become our Lord. Uh, There will come a point in our lives when we bow the knee to him and we say, Lord You're the boss, and I'm not. And if you're here tonight as someone who's not a Christian, maybe you're thinking about these things and you're thinking, gosh, this sounds rather complicated. Well, come to Christianity Explored, where David Morris will make it all plain uh, on Tuesday evenings. But actually, as you begin to hear about Jesus Christ, as you uh, discover who he is and what he's done, uh, that he is the Lord and the Savior, and he calls us uh, to respond by trusting him and obeying him, and if you find yourself drawn to him, to make that response from your own heart. Well, then actually, uh, when you read this letter, having made that commitment, you'll discover it was because God first chose you, and then that miracle of his working in your heart by the Spirit uh, has brought you uh, to obedience to Jesus Christ. Uh, That's the confession of him as Lord, and the sprinkling by his blood. That's a curious phrase. What it means uh, is that we have come to trust in his cleansing of us from our sins. 
Uh, it's uh, an idea that comes from the, uh, the Old Testament. Uh, the sprinkling of blood was a, a way of uh, transferring the merits of the sacrifice who stood in the place of the sins of God's people to the people who needed that forgiveness. And so here, uh, Peter says, uh, we've come in dependence to him, bowing before him. Uh, we've come in faith to him, receiving the forgiveness uh, that he has brought us uh, by his death on the cross. Those who are chosen uh, by the Father, sanctified by the Spirit, uh, are those who come to confess that Jesus is Lord and that he is their Savior. Uh, that's what it means to know God. And as we were thinking a couple of weeks uh, ago, uh, when we come to trust in Christ, uh, sometimes it can feel uh, as though that trust is rather a matter of our holding on to him. Of course, in a sense, it is. But Peter says, and he's writing a letter uh, to Christians who are feeling under enormous strain, uh, pressure from the world, uh, the sufferings we shall consider uh, even in this uh, first chapter uh, and throughout the letter, it's evident uh, that there is enormous pressure upon them uh, as they seek to be faithful to Jesus Christ. And Peter says to them, uh, as they hold on to Jesus, but as they feel perhaps that uh, their grasp on him uh, is slipping, they feel their own weakness, uh, he wants to say to them, friends, be encouraged. Your choice of Christ rests on his of yours. Your love for him uh, is merely a response to his love for you. And that love and that choice will not fail uh, for his grasp on you. Uh, will always prove uh, to be the rock upon which our faith will not falter. Uh, for it rests not on our efforts, but on his choice, his love his saving work in our hearts by his spirit through his son on the cross and risen to be the Lord. Here, uh, Peter says, is the canvas upon which we may live lives of real confidence as we seek to follow Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. With that in mind, we must uh, move on. In the rest of the passage, Peter begins uh, to explore some of what it means to know this God who's chosen us, who's given himself for us, who's indwelling us, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Uh, He says something to us about what each uh, person of God means to the Christian. Uh, First, that we rejoice uh, in the Father's hope. Second, that we share in Jesus' suffering. And third, that we receive the Spirit's uh, word. So first, then, we rejoice in God, the Father's hope. And actually, I think that's the one I've already put up. I was getting ahead of myself, not behind. Gosh, it's my third sermon today. Uh, take pity on me if I get slightly lost. Uh, but verse 3, uh, we in fact uh, often come to this, don't we, uh, when we want to be encouraged and we start uh, a service together. Uh, it's designed for rooftop shouting. Uh, I won't do that this evening, uh, but just imagine it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter was writing to Christians who belonged to churches that were small and suffering, where the predominant culture was hostile, and where they felt themselves weak and on the margins. He says, no, it rests in God's love and this hope he has given you. Well, that hope will prove to be an anchor uh, for the soul that will sustain you through whatever uh, is thrown at you in your lives here and now. And we live in a world, don't we, uh, that is by and large hopeless. 
Uh, that's uh, been increasingly uh, the case over the last few years. The uh, economic uh, issues that we've faced uh, as a nation and as a Western world uh, have gone on far longer and far deeper uh, than anybody predicted uh, originally. That's not to say that there's no hope of any sort around in our neighbours uh, or in those without faith. Uh, there's always the hope of the better job or uh, more money or the latest uh, iPhone or your football team winning um, perhaps slightly more profound hopes of your family growing up healthy and fulfilled, of your marriage lasting and bringing joy, and so on. We, we have all sorts of hopes and dreams, and they're by no means all wrong. I have several of those uh, myself. I'm hoping in particular for a vicarage with a roof back on it in a few months' time, uh, various things like that. Uh, the trouble with all these hopes, uh, and many more besides, is that they're all tied to this world. And therefore, in the end, they cannot bear the weight of that longing in our hearts for something that truly lasts, something that is eternal, something that makes sense of who we are with this aching for meaning. They're all subject to the destruction of sin and disease and death. And please don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying we shouldn't work and hope for a number of those things and many more besides in this world. But if that is the limit of our hope, then in the end we will prove to be hopeless. Because every one of those things, the job, the health, the marriage, the family, even life itself, will come to an end. And if all our uh, meaning and hope was built on those things, and in the end, those hopes will turn to dust. As wise old Solomon observed, God has made everything beautiful in its time. That's why we hope for some of these things. But he's set eternity in the hearts of men. But they cannot fathom what God has done from beginning to end. Left to our own devices, we find hope in the best way we can. And even at its best, it's not enough. And somehow we know it's not enough. God's put eternity in our hearts and only an eternal hope can truly satisfy us. And Peter says to these Christians uh, in ancient Turkey, just as he says to us, who was surrounded by uh, a world uh, struggling to find hope and so often looking for it in the wrong places, look to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And in his victory over the grave, here is a hope that will never fail. Here is a hope uh, that will not in the end perish uh, with this world or our lives in this world. And it is the heart of what we believe. Uh, one wouldn't think so sometimes. Uh, many wise and influential people, indeed uh, many clergy and uh, intelligent theologians have uh, sought to deny the bodily resurrection of Jesus or uh, somehow say it doesn't really matter or we can't prove it. Well you simply can't do that and have an authentic Christian faith. If Jesus is still in a tomb in Palestine, well then our preaching is useless and so is your faith, says the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian Christians. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Indeed he says, if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. If Christ is not risen... We could be investing our time in better things, getting the most out of those lesser hopes, if that really is all there is to be found. But Peter says, no. The tomb is empty. Christ is risen. Uh, the coming age, 
The age when God will make all things right has broken in through Jesus rising from the dead. And his resurrection means that our lives here, however bleak they become, can always be lived with a sure and certain hope, to use the phrase from the funeral service, in the resurrection from the dead. The resurrection in Jesus Christ. The resurrection to an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. And the danger for us, I guess, if we're Christians here, is not that we disbelieve that Jesus has risen, although maybe some of us do struggle with that. Most of us have just said the creed. We do believe it. Actually, our struggle is truly locating our hope in the coming age, in the resurrection, and not in those pressing things that clamor for our attention in this world. Our hope is in the resurrection of Jesus. All our hopes will one day fail us in this world. They will perish. They will spoil. They will fade. It doesn't make them wrong. It just makes them partial and unworthy of our ultimate loyalty. And if we belong to God, if our loyalty is first given to Jesus Christ, Well, then Peter says, we have the kind of hope that gives us a radically new heart. It gives us a way of looking at our lives, of looking at the future. No matter what assaults us from within or without, we know that our place in God's new and perfect world is sure. And that therefore, that hope of what cannot be taken from us sustains us and illuminates at the very darkness through which we may so often be passing. There is kept for us a place in a kingdom where we shall be face to face, on first name at terms with the king, a place when there is no death, no sickness, no despair, no suffering, rather only health and joy and peace. And our present hope is that our future is there. Because that is coming, That light from there is shone backwards onto our present path of pilgrimage. In this we greatly rejoice. And our joy is strong, Peter says, and from our hearts. Because we know that if the tomb is empty, then our future is certain in the kingdom of Christ. He's risen from the grave. He's gone ahead of us to make our place in the kingdom ready. We can therefore rejoice. We said it this morning, didn't we? At rejoice in the Lord always. Again, Paul says, rejoice, for the Father has given us an unfailing hope. And secondly, and this is the reason we need the hope, we share in Jesus' sufferings even as we lay hold of the Father's hope. This is simply the reality of life lived long enough. A few years ago, I was doing a wedding in a previous parish, so a number of years ago, and the young couple chose 1 Peter 1 for their wedding. They liked the talk of God's choice and love and the inheritance, but they said to me, can't you just drop out verse 6 and the first bit of verse 7, because we don't really want to talk about suffering on our wedding day. We just want the hope. Well, they were being naive, weren't they? I understand in a sense why they didn't want anything negative there on their wedding day, but the vows are wise enough in sickness and in health, and so they go. The reality is in our human pilgrimage, whether we're single or married people, 
just in a fallen world, we will find our share of suffering. And if we follow Jesus Christ, then that suffering may well increase rather than decrease because we will gain that opprobrium that comes to those who belong to Jesus Christ in a world that has rejected him. And Peter's recipients were experiencing that twin suffering, the suffering of life common to all those in a fallen world of sickness and despair and frustration and futility and death, but also that suffering of seeking to follow Christ and finding that many reject us because we do so. And maybe the biggest obstacle to hope is our suffering. Peter will say to us, it is precisely our hope that gets us through the suffering. Indeed, the suffering is part of God's way of writing that hope ever deeper on our hearts. In all sorts of ways, Christians then and now will suffer. In this letter, we shall see, Peter writes to Christians who are suffering because of their faith. They're being oppressed in the workplace, in marriages to non-Christian spouses, in government opposition, and the way their friends and families were reacting to them just because they belonged to Jesus. There is that particularly Christian element of suffering that is a big part of the focus here in this letter. And yet Peter says, verse 6, in this, that is in this hope we have, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. We need to work hard at holding on to our hope when we're in the midst of suffering. The temptation not to hope is all around us, often maybe confirmed by the feelings we have within us. But as Christians, notice what Peter says. He says that the suffering we have now is only for a little while. That little while may be several decades, but it is a little while in comparison to the eternal resurrection age that is coming if we belong to Jesus. So hold on, he says. Uh, The uh, pathway may be dark, uh, the valley of the shadow is real, but in the end it will prove to be short. And he goes on to say, verses 8 and 9, this is what anchors uh, us. Uh, Though we haven't seen Jesus, he's there waiting for us, nevertheless we love him and we trust him and we know that work of God's spirit in our hearts drawing us to him. And because it's his work, we know that he'll keep us loving him and trusting him and hoping in him. That, Peter says, as we look to the Jesus who suffered for us and suffered as a pattern of what we too would experience is the way in which we shall persevere in hope even through the darkest of days. In verse 11, Peter uh, is talking about how the Holy Spirit revealed to the prophets the sufferings of Christ and the glories uh, that would follow. Uh, Before Jesus uh, could experience his glorious resurrection, uh, in obedience he embraced death uh, on a sinner's cross. And as it was for Jesus, uh, so it will be for us. The suffering now assures us uh, that we are truly those who believe in and belong to Jesus. Often the evidence of the suffering says to us that God doesn't love us at all. Peter says, no, it's precisely evidence that you're following the same path that your Saviour did. 
the suffering now in order that we may come to share in his glory. And when the pressure is upon us, when the darkness surrounds us, that is the time, Peter says, we need to just grip on to him. And then we will discover his strength that sustains us in those days, that through faith we are shielded, verse 5, by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. As we hold on to him in our weakness, And in our despair, we discover that it is his power and his sovereign grace that keeps us going on that pathway until the day comes and the morning star rises and we see him face to face. Verse 7, Peter says, The grief we're suffering has come, not because God has failed, but so that your faith may be proved genuine. And the Lord allows us to go through suffering and trials. He's strengthening our faith so that it will stand firm to the end. And indeed the end result of sharing in Christ's sufferings is a sharing in that praise, glory and honor that belongs to him and will come to him when he is revealed. One of the privileges that I have and that George has and that others around us do, of course, in the church family, is standing with one another when those dreadful times of suffering come to us. And one of the ways in which, over the years here, I've been most profoundly humbled and blessed is when something awful has happened to a brother or sister in Christ in our own church family here at St. John's. And on more than one occasion, I'll confess to you, my first reaction has been to think, gosh, that person has always seemed to be a, a slightly weak believer. I, I really wonder whether they'll hold on uh, in all of this or whether they might just walk away. And some of the most amazing uh, periods of growth in grace and uh, transparent Christ-likeness has come when those very people uh, grow more like Jesus as they discover that uh, his strength is sufficient to hold on to them uh, through that dark valley lifting the hope of the resurrected Christ before them and taking them through it almost invariably stronger in Christ than they were before. In fact, I can't think of an example to the contrary as I'm saying that to you this evening. That doesn't mean that anyone would have chosen that path. It just means that somewhere within the mysterious and sovereign purposes of God, Peter's words are right. Those trials that come, uh, are those things uh, that prove uh, that our faith uh, is genuine and that they refine uh, this faith uh, so that the glory and honor and praise uh, we may be even more confident uh, through those periods is coming to us in that day when Christ is revealed. So when the suffering comes, Peter says to us, as it surely will, Here is an anchor for the soul in the love of the Father. Here is the pattern of Christ gone before us. As we begin to experience something of the pattern of his life, it's not evidence that God has abandoned us, but rather that he has embraced us, as it were, even closer to us, so that we may have our faith strengthened and our hope purified. And then thirdly and finally, we receive the Spirit's word Verse 10, God spoke uh, through the prophets of the Old Testament. Uh, And then we read of the grace uh, that God was going to reveal 
In the gospel of his son, his plan to send his son who would suffer and then enter his glory was all prophesied. They searched intently. Presumably that means they searched the earlier scriptures, their own prophecies, to find out the time and circumstances when these things would happen. And ultimately, though, it wasn't until God actually spoke his last word in the sending of his son that everything became clear. And now the apostles of the New Testament have received and preached the gospel of Jesus, born of Mary, who is God over all. And so the same spirit speaks God's word from Genesis to Revelation, speaks the same message, the gospel of Christ. Gradually, the contours becoming visible in the Old Testament before being revealed in full color in the New. And what this means Uh, for us, brothers and sisters, uh, is that if we are to know the love of the Father, if we're to know the hope he gives us, if we're to live by faith that perseveres through the trials, well then, we need to be people who grasp on to God's word in the Bible. Uh, If we reject it, well then we're rejecting the very message that brought us hope and the very word that sustains us along the path as we live by faith. To receive the Bible as God's perfect word is not merely some abstract theological statement. It is the very means of laying hold of the living God by faith in such a way as to come home to his kingdom in the end. We have an enormous privilege in having God's word. Even the prophets, verse 12, are told by God that their message was not for their own generation, but for us who live this side of the cross. And so if they search the earlier scriptures intently and with the greatest care, well, doesn't that give us a fairly obvious hint for what we ought to be doing with our Bibles? It's our spiritual food. And the spirit who inspired the prophets and apostles leads us to read, mark, learn, and inwardly digest God's words through them. It means as well that when uh, the scriptures come under assault, Uh, in the church, uh, we take our stand on them, again, not just to defend uh, a theological viewpoint, but because when the scriptures are attacked, the very gospel is overthrown, and the love and hope and faith that we so cherish that God has revealed to us in his son, the Lord Jesus, is taken away uh, from those who would yet believe and belong. So today, let me just end by asking some questions which will Give some time to consider prayerfully and silently in a few moments. Thinking of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Do you know the Father's love? That he's chosen you? If you do, then receive and rejoice in the hope that he gives you tonight through his Son's resurrection. If you haven't, lay hold of Christ and discover the Father's love for you. Do you know that Jesus has died to sprinkle you with his blood and calls you to surrender to him in unqualified obedience? If you do, then trust him in life's trials. He will prove faithful. You will share with him in the glory of the coming age. Do you know the Spirit's work in your heart? The Spirit who longs to breathe this word back into you, that you might live by faith and hope and knowing the Father's love, growing in the knowledge and love of our Saviour through these words. That is what God would say to us tonight. For in God's mercy, we're better off than the angels 
in his mercy. We can know the Lord in a way that they never could. Let's not neglect the awesome privilege of knowing God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Let's take a moment of silent reflection, then I'll lead us in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, I'm so conscious that some of these themes have been recurring in recent weeks. Not through my planning. But Lord, please help us to hear your word. Please would you lead us together to rejoice in the hope that you've set in our hearts. To follow Christ, even the way of the cross. To long for that closer walk with your spirit capturing our hearts humbling us before your word and making us more and more like Christ send us out we pray that we may bear witness to your to our saviour your son and father we pray for your help we pray especially for your help uh, for those who are very conscious of the darkness this night So, Father, we pray for your blessing upon us all, in Jesus' name. Amen.